Well, I invite your attention with me tonight to the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter. Thank you so much for your attendance tonight. Tonight I want to give you a message that hopefully will be a challenge to you. And then if you got that sheet, I want to give you a practicum. It's kind of like you're taking a college course. I'm going to give you the course, and then I'm going to give you the practicum to go along with it, okay? Well, I am a college president, so you got to expect something like that, okay? So that's what we want to do. I will say this in regards to the message I'm going to bring tonight there. This is a message that um, I prepared it a few couple of years ago. I did not prepare it just for tonight, but I, uh, I actually prepared this message a few years ago. Uh, but I'll tell you, I take this message out and I read it frequently because it helps me stay on point in my prayer life. And that's really what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. You know, we're here tonight talking about the subject of revival. And, uh, you know, there's, never, there's only ever been one revival that I know of that was a great evangelistic meeting that did not that was not greatly preceded or in the midst of it had deep praying people as far as revival meeting uh, of course the the Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905 where uh, basically I mean I think as they, they estimated over some 20 to 30 thousand people were converted to Christ uh, there in Wales and then of course the uh, Revival at the old North Dutch Church in uh, New York uh, City area under Pastor Jeremiah Lampier, who was a businessman, and the church was about to close its doors. And some of the men of the church, a few men that were left, asked him if he would take over the church, and he agreed to do so. And Jeremiah Lampier said, one of the things I think I'll do is I think I'll start a prayer meeting every day at noon. The church was down in an old warehouse district where a lot of his people, who most all of them were blue-collar workers, uh, they worked in those factory meetings, and he thought, well, maybe they could get out for a short time uh, to come to a prayer meeting. And first, he, his first time there, he, he had very few people there. I think he only had, well, the first couple of weeks he had nobody there, and then he had one or two. But out of that came a, 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 a fire of God and a revival meeting uh, that some people estimate between 100 and 200,000 people came to Christ. It spread all across central part of the United States, over through Missouri here, into Kansas, and even on out to the West Coast. And it was a very powerful, but it was started under a prayer meeting. The only revival I know, and I started to preach this message tonight, but God didn't give me a direction to do that, was the revival that happened in Nineveh, a city of over 600,000 people there, and yet God turned that thing and, and they turned to God at, at the preaching of a backslidden preacher. And so outside of that, every revival I've ever known of has been, has been saturated with prayer. So I want to talk to you tonight about the subject of prayer. Uh, Mark chapter 11 and verse number 24 says, um, there, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire. And I want you to notice those two little words there, whatsoever things ye desire. Uh, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Uh, the word desire in the Greek is the word epithumime, and uh, it literally means and refers to a strong craving. It's actually akin to the word for which we get our English word for addiction. It means strong longings, crying out is what the word desire means there. Desire is not simply a wish, but rather it's a deep-seated craving that manifests itself before God in deep longings. Now, make no mistake about it. Desire is an absolute, I believe, essential in the prayer life. 
And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Desire precedes prayer. You see, where there is no desire, really there is no prayer. Without desire, prayer is nothing more than vain repetition. Uh, you know, John Wesley said this when he comes to prayer. He said, if your prayers don't matter to you, then they don't matter to God. Think about that. And when you're praying, does it matter to you whether or not God answers that prayer or whether he does not answer that prayer? Does it really matter to you? What do you really desire when you go before God in prayer? You see, desire gives meaning. Desire gives purpose to our prayer life. Prayer is the verbal expression of the desires of our heart and the desires of our soul. And when one desires little, they pray little. When a person desires much, they will pray much. It's so very, very true according to what our desire is. And you know, I would say this to you. Prayer is actually a hard work. Prayer is hard work. Romans chapter 15 and verse 30 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, and listen to what Paul said here, that ye strive together with me in your prayers for God for me. Notice that word, Paul asked, he said, I, I want you to strive. And, and the word strive there speaks as, as though in those days, those, those wrestlers who, who would wrestle together and, and they would strive and they would strain every muscle in their body to try to pin their opponent to the mat. That's where the word strive here comes from. It means to strain. It, it means to use, to exert all of one's energy. I'm reminded of, of Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13 where Daniel says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood him for one and 20 days. And of course, uh, he says, then lo, the Lord sent Michael, the, the chief archangel, and, and brought him the answer to prayer. But he went down there to the river Chebar to pray and, he, and God did not answer his prayer on day one. And so he stayed for day two. He stayed for day three. He stayed all the way for 21 days before God uh, answered his prayer. But he went before God and he stayed there because he had a desire. And I want to pause and I just want to ask you and I again tonight. Are your prayers and are my prayers characterized by a deep desire? Again, John Wesley said, if your prayers don't matter to you, your prayers don't matter to God. Do you have a deep longing in your soul for God to answer your prayer? Prayer brings us into the open and opens our heart so the desires of our heart can be manifest to God Almighty. And I believe the stronger of one's sense of need is the stronger of one's desire to which we will cry out to God. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, the world is desperate, but the saints are not. Oh, listen, I, I, you know, my, my dad, uh, this, this past Monday, uh, my dad had been, had been dead for 21 years. He died in, in Labor Day of 2020. Uh, he was 87 years of age, almost 88 years of age. And, and I don't know how many times my dad has said to me, son, I don't know how the world can get much worse. Well, if you've lived in the last 21 years, you know it has got a whole lot worse. The world is desperate, as Leonard Ravenhill says, but the saints are not. Oh, may God help us to become serious in this matter of prayer. 
Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that word poor there literally means to be broken in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What that verse means there, that when we pray before God and we are broken before God and we cry out to God, that God will hear and answer our prayers. You know, when need captures the soul of man, he cries out in his desire. I'm afraid what God said about the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17 is far too often true with us today. And the Lord said about the church of Laodicea, thou art rich and have need of nothing. And I hate to say this, and I'm talking about, I pastored the same church for 30 years, and I'm telling you a lot of that time was true in regards to me and my church. We, I'm patient, folks, we, we need God more than we need anything else. And God is looking for people who have a, a heart that's crying out and desires God in their life and desires God in their midst. You see, desire must accompany prayer. Luke 18 and verse 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. How many times have you started out praying for something and God never answered so you just... You just quit praying for that. Can I tell you this? If it was worth praying for to begin with, it's still worth praying for. Just keep on praying. You see, we, we must have enough of desire that it will stain us through the dry times in our life. And you know, I, I can't explain to you why when Daniel went down to the river of Chebar there to pray, I can't tell you tonight why God did not answer his prayer the very first time Daniel prayed that prayer. But he didn't answer it. And Daniel stayed there by the river of Chebar. When you study that text, basically he fasted there for 21 days, as far as we know. And God didn't answer it on the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day. And he kept pouring out his soul to God Almighty. He emptied himself. He emptied his desire before God. And on the 21st day, God heard his prayer. You see, you got to have desire in your prayer life. Desire is what will keep you praying when, when there is no answer and when, when everything around you seems to be spiritually drowned and God's presence not there. Could I ask you, Christian, has there been a time in your life when it seemed like you prayed and your prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling? That was probably how, probably how Daniel felt. Daniel's probably down there, you know, probably after one day, two days, three days, five days, seven days, eight days, he probably said, hey, God, are you home? But see, his whole heart, he had, he had a desire in his soul. And what does James say in James 5 and verse 16? The effectual fervent prayer. And that word fervent there speaks of the heat of passion in our soul. Could I ask you this morning, could I ask you this evening, when you prayed this morning, did you pray with any heat of passion in your soul? Or were you just okay saying, well, I've gone through the ritual of saying a few words about prayer this morning. I'm going to tell you and I something tonight just to say a few words to God and call it praying is not intercessory praying and it does not move the heart of God, let alone the hand of God. If we are, if we are going to see God move, we've got to become serious in this area of our prayer. I'm reminded of what David said in Psalms 42 when he cried out, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Oh, may God give us a thirst for him tonight that drives us to our prayer closet where we cry out with broken hearts and broken tears running down our face saying, Oh, God, God, I need you. And God, I'm coming before your throne here tonight. 
I believe there's two, two, two prerequisites to effectual praying. One is righteous. You know, you read Psalms 37. Boy, I'll tell you, God makes that so very clear. I think the second one is, is to pray fervently, which means to, to be hot or to be bawling or to be passionate. It speaks of a passion, burning desire. And again, I just want to pause and ask you here just for a moment. What burning passion desire occupies your life in your prayer time? I have a good friend that just passed away. Uh, I probably, with the Tobers, probably know him, uh, Pastor Mike Stansel there in, at uh, Heritage Baptist Church in uh, right outside of Jackson, Mississippi. Wonderful man of God. I preached his funeral. As a matter of fact, I said to people, you know, Brother, brother Mike was one of those guys. I'm telling you what, when he preached, he got after it. He had it in high gear, brother. I'm telling you, he, 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 he wasn't just shouting and running and jumping. He actually said something, and there is a difference. But many times, Brother Mike would call me on the phone, and he'd say to me, now, Brother Rick, I need you to pray for me, and I need you to bear down on this one. Catch that? I need you to bear down on this one. What he was saying, this one here is really important. Pray with passion, begging, pleading for God in this area. See, see, two things God will not tolerate, and that's insincerity or lack of heart really in our prayer life. I mean, when, you, when you're just going through the motions, I'm telling you that, that that does not please God at all. Lukewarmness, a lack of heat, <laughs> and that, does not warm, that does not move the heart of God at all. You know, I, I, I read back some time ago, and I, and I put this in this message here, but it said in the early days when the Methodist church began to build their first church buildings, they refused to allow any form of heat to be put inside the buildings. They said the flame in the pew and the fire in the pulpit must be enough to keep them warm. <laughs> Boy, I tell you what. Huh. I'd take care of most Baptists right there, would it not? I tell you, listen, but, but, but the point of what they were saying is, is what we ought to be fervently passionate about God in our life. He says here, whatsoever things, whatsoever things you desire. That, that word desire is such a strong word. Desire is always focused on its object. Desire never prays in generality, but it is, it is always specific. God, I, I am asking you, dear God, and God, if you want to change my prayers, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. But God, as I understand the situation, God, this is what I'm asking you for. Desire is always intense. It's not, only, it's not only focused on its object, but it is always intense. It wants its object so badly that nothing, nothing but God's willingness to answer can bring that contentment into the heart and life of the individual. We see that Moses prayed like this. David prayed like this. Jacob prayed like this. You know, talking about Moses, God said, Moses said to God, God, forgive my people and cleanse them. Yes, blot my name out of the book, out of your book, God. What, what a passionate prayer Moses prayed. Oh, God help us. I remember reading about the life of John Knox. John, Mo John Knox prayed, prayed this prayer, Oh, God, give me Scotland, else I die. What a passionate prayer. Friend, I ask you tonight, do you and I have any kind of desire that when we pray in to God in regards to that? And then I think we need to ask God to focus our prayer. Listen to this, Romans 8 and verse 26. When, I, when we just are in generalities our prayer, ask God to focus our prayer. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That is that brokenness in prayer. How, how long has it been since you prayed for anything with brokenness in your life? 
See, that is when desire really pours out of our soul. I hate to say it tonight, but probably most of the time when you and I pray, and, I, and by the way tonight, don't think I'm just preaching to you. I, 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 I've preached this message to me three or four times a day already. But you know, so many times when you and I pray, we pray as though it doesn't matter to us whether God answers that prayer or not. And friend, I'm going to tell you something again. I repeat what John Wesley said for the third time. John Wesley says, if your prayers don't matter to you, then they don't matter to God. I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. So I ask you tonight, how is your prayer life tonight? Is there any fervency? Is there any great desire? Are you and I content to let, just to say some words and say, oh yeah, I, I, I prayed today. And I'll tell you something else. You say you ought to examine your, your prayer life about, and that is how much of our prayer life is selfish praying. Oh God, please bless me. Oh God, please do this. Oh God, please do that. It's all about me, 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 me. Examine your prayer life. See what it is like. Well, the Bible makes it very clear that without desire, there is no burden of soul, no sense of need, no urgency of holding on to God. How sad. I guess God introduced this subject to me for the first time when I, when I, right after I got saved. When I, when, I, when I got saved, I was 15 years old. And the night I got saved, Charlie Harrington had started a little church in Pascagoula, Mississippi. That's where our nation's largest shipyard is, by the way. They employ sometimes as many as 25 and 30,000 men when they're at their peak there, or, or people there. And uh, my dad and his brothers were bootleggers. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My dad was arrested for bootlegging the third time in South Alabama. In order to not go to jail, my dad entered a plea bargain that if they, if they would let him uh, leave the state of Alabama, that, that, that he would do it to keep from going to jail. And the judge agreed to do that. And so we moved out of Mobile County. We moved right over there into Pascagoula, Mississippi. And lo and behold, there's where at age 15 in Mississippi, you could get your driver's license. I got my driver's license. I, I bought a car, a 49 Ford. Oh, that thing was beautiful. You should have saw it. Didn't have no floorboards inside it or anything like that. Uh, you know, but it was a beautiful car. I, felt, I was like Fred Flintstone trying to stop that thing, if you know who Fred Flintstone was. I asked this girl if I could, she'd go out on a date with me, and she said yes, and I was working Friday nights and Saturday nights, so the only night I had off was Sunday night. And boy, I was so excited. I was so pumped up. And so I went by her house early that after Sunday afternoon and said, now remember, we're going out tonight, and I'll be here to pick you up. And what I didn't realize was her mother was standing behind the door. And her mother stuck her head around the door, and he said, young man, if you're going to go out with my daughter to, tonight, you'll be at church. And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not, I'm not coming to church. I'm, we, we're just going to go out, and, and we'll be home later. And she opened that door wide open, and she said, son, you don't understand me. I said, if you're not at church tonight, you're, you ain't going nowhere with my daughter. You understand that now? I thought to myself, you old bitty you, what gives you that right? I'm 15. What else do you expect me to think? I went that night, Charlie Harrington had just started that church, had the front of it popped up with two by twelves out there in the porch of the church. There not, there, there's not 20 of us sitting in there that night. And if, I don't know if you even know Brother Charlie Harrington. He's only about this tall. And he was up there, and I'm telling you, he was preaching on, he was preaching heaven high and hell hot. He preached on hell, singing to me like for two hours and 45 minutes. No, it wasn't really that long. But when you lost going to hell and somebody's preaching on hell, you don't enjoy that very much. 
That night I was gloriously born again of the Spirit of God. Oh, God moved into my heart that night. I got saved that night. I was born again of the Spirit of God. And I, I, I don't remember anything about that date whatsoever, but I remember taking that girl home and I went home. And as I walked in, I got the family Bible off of the coffee table there in the living room. And I, I went to my bedroom and I got up in the middle of my bed and, and I started reading my Bible. And I never read the Bible before in my life. And I started reading in the book of Deuteronomy. I don't recommend that for new converts, by the way. That's not a good place to start. Go to John. That's a great place. But don't go to Deuteronomy. That's a terrible place for a... But you know what? I was reading my Bible that night as I sat there in that bed. And God said to me, son, if you were lost and going to hell, where do you think about your daddy? Where do you think he's going? My daddy was passed out drunk in the bedroom. And where we lived in a little government house, it was wasn't big as a cracker box. And God said, if you're going to hell, where do you think your daddy's going? I got that family Bible, put it under my arm. I walked out of my bedroom, walked into my dad's bedroom. And of course, he was passed out drunk in there. I, woke my, I turned on the light. I woke my daddy up. And my daddy, in a startled look, looked at me. And I said, Daddy, I got to tell you something. Daddy, I got to tell you something. And, and he just gave me this startled look. I said, Daddy, I went to church tonight. And Daddy, I got saved. And I said, Daddy, I know if I was lost and going to hell, you're lost and going to hell. And I want you to get saved too. That was my first soul winning call. Now, I'd like to tell you it went real good, but it didn't. My daddy told me, take that Bible and get the, that story about hell. That's what he told me to take with me as I left that room. I didn't know what to do. It crushed my soul. I slid out of that bed. I got down on my knees. And beside that bed... I begged God to save my daddy, and I said, God, I'm going to ask you every day of my life to save my daddy. I was consumed with that passion of my soul. I'm just illustrating a passion. I tried to talk to my dad. My dad, dad I don't want to listen to that stuff. I, I don't want to hear that stuff. I, I don't want to hear all, all them preachers want that there's your money. <laughs> Little did he know I'd become one. <laughs> Does God have a sense of humor or not? And take a bootlegger's son and turn him into a Baptist preacher. But here's what I will tell you. I beg God every day of my life to save my daddy. That was in 1965. In 1968, I was a student over at Baptist Bible College. I went home for Thanksgiving. And I had my car packed after church. I was leaving to drive back. We had to be back on Monday mornings in those days for classes at 730 there wasn't no such thing as driving back on Friday and having a class at 9.30. And the preacher said to me, as I was going out the back door, you want to preach tonight? Do I want to preach tonight? I mean, that's like asking me, do I want a T-bone steak? Why, sure, I want to preach tonight. And I told him, yes. I went home and I told my dad, Daddy, my preacher's asked me to preach tonight. Will you go hear me preach? And my daddy didn't turn me down. And that night, right there around Thanksgiving, I, I, tell you, I couldn't tell you what I preached. I wept all night long. You see, I was consumed by a desire. I was consumed by a desire. And that was desire was to see 
My mother, my, my daddy gets saved. My, my sister who's just older than me and my mother got saved about a month and a half after that. I took them to a revival meeting at our church and both of them got saved. But my daddy, he was just, he wouldn't listen. But that night, God got a hold of his heart and I gave that invitation and there came my old daddy right down that aisle and received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. It's the first time God ever taught me the lesson for those three years to pray with desire. Now I want to close this part of my message and give you the practical. What desire possesses your soul tonight? What desire? What are you begging God for every day? What is it in your prayer life that makes a difference to you whether God answers or does not answer it? What is it? You see, God said without desire, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, that means to cry out to God in your prayer life. Now, I want to tell you something. When I was probably, when it was probably around 1980, that, that would be the approximate time. It might have been 82 or somewhere along in there. Um, I came across a little paperback book. And uh, at this time, I'm pastoring a church. And I'm, I'm, I'm the preacher. And I came across this little paperback book, and, and, and it literally changed my life. It changed my life. Now, it wasn't necessarily the content so much of the book as it was, it, 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 it was a book by Dick Eastman. It was called The Hour That Changes the World. Maybe you've read it. It's not just a little paperback book is all it is. You see, and I, re- I, I remember talking about when Jesus was on his, he, when Jesus was there in Gethsemane, he took his disciples with him and he asked them, would you watch and pray with me for one hour? And what happened? They failed God, did they not? They failed God. And you know what God convicted me of in my life at that time? I was failing God in my prayer life. And the whole theme in regards to that thing is is not failing in your prayer life. You see, if I were to ask tonight, and I'm not asking for any public response to this question. I'm I'm not asking for any public response. But if I were to ask tonight, how many of you prayed an hour today? There'd probably be few hands that would be raised. If I asked, how many of you here could pray for one minute? Probably every one of you could raise your hand. So you know what? If you want to pray like Jesus asked his disciples to pray, you want to spend an hour a day in prayer, then all you got to do is pray one minute 60 times. It's really that easy. And, and, and that's the whole gist of the book. And, and you know what I learned? I, I learned at that time that until I organized my prayer life, I was probably just playing around in my prayer life. And that's why you got this little sheet tonight. And I want to just go through it very quickly. And I want to challenge you tonight to, to leave here tonight saying, by the grace of God, I am going to commit to start praying an hour a day in my life. I did, I, I commit, now, could, could you say, has there ever been a time that, that, that you failed that? Yes, there have been a few times, but not very many times in my life since, since in the early 80s have I failed to pray an hour a day. And sometimes it's much longer than an hour a day. And I, one of the things that I realized was if without organizing your prayer life, you will never be effective in your real prayer life. 
And so I want to help you. Now, I don't necessarily use the plan that I'm going to necessarily give you here tonight. I have modified this to make it simple for you. You can modify it as it goes for you. So I just, I'm just going to go through this real quick, and I want to encourage you to get your prayer life organized. Number one, let's thank God. Let's thank God. Every day, every morning when I start to pray, the first thing I do, and this is just me, I thank God for my salvation. March the 14th, 1965, 15-year-old boy fell on his face, asked God to save him. God did a work of grace in my life. So I suggest you thank God for your salvation. Number two, I thank God for assurance of salvation. Oh, you see, not only am I saved, but I know that I'm saved. Oh, whoo, glory to God. I know I'm saved. Man, I thank God for that. Number three, I thank God for the privilege of serving him. You see, I'm nothing more than a servant. And you know what? A servant doesn't deserve a whole lot. I'm just a servant. Number four here, I just thank God for his blessings in my life. God has blessed. If I don't ever get another, I'm still a debtor. God has poured his blessings on me so very, very much. Number two, let's praise God for what he is. Number one, he's omniscient. He knows all things. (laughs) And you know what? If you get a hold of that, you know, we, we, we get this thing, well, you know, boy, I'm going down the road, there's something terrible happened to me. Do you know that God knows what's going to happen to me today, tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year? And can I tell you something else? And I don't know if we're being broadcast online, but let me tell you something right here. God knows when you're going to die, and God knows how you're going to die and where you're going to die. Hebrews 9, 27 says, and it's appointed the man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And you know what? It don't make any difference to me if I go with COVID or how I go. God's already appointed. And God has set the day and God will take care of you until that day. I don't believe you ought to be a fool. I'm not going to go out here on I-44 and wait for a truck to come out and jump out in front of it. I'm not going to do that. But neither am I going to forsake the setting of myself together to the house of God as some do. I'm not going to do that. I'll tell you what, after, after, we, after we went back in, we closed down our church during a time for a while. And then after that, I preached a message in our church at Bible Baptist in Gulfport. And I I preached, the message basically was this, how did we do during COVID? Personally, I had COVID in March. When the first first Sunday it came down, they began to shut everything down. I came home from Chicago, I was preaching a revival meeting, I had COVID. Shannon had COVID. Well, she never got tested, but I did, but she had everything I had. So I probably gave her COVID too. And I shut the church down. And so I preached the message, how did we do during COVID? Personally, I think I did pretty good. As a pastor, I'm not preaching to your pastor. I'm just telling you, me as a pastor, I said to the church at that time, and I said, I know I'm retiring in August, but I don't care how bad it gets. I'm never closing those doors again. You hear me? I am never closing those doors. We may have to have one person in one section of every here, and I'll have to preach the message over and over again until I can't preach anymore, but I am never closing the doors again. That's just me. I'm not speaking for any other pastor or nothing else. I, I think I failed in that area. Let's praise God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's, on, he's omnipresent. He's always with me. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Glory to God. None of that. Listen to this. He is, he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And, and Paul said it like this. He's able to make all grace abound to reward you that you will always have all sufficiency in all things. Not only that, uh, he, he, he is immutable. He never changes. 
Next, he is holy and just. And I'm going to leave this down here if I'm going too fast for you, but I'm trying to get you out. He is merciful. Oh, thank God. You know what part of my prayers every day is? I thank God for grace and mercy. The Bible says, let, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Preacher, I'll tell you, I struggle with that. I, 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 I struggle with coming boldly to the throne of grace, but that's what God tells us to do. God, give me grace. God resists the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. And then, so I thank God for mercy. I thank God he is loving and kind. Did you know that? You see, we have the wrong, so, it's sad to say, but so many preachers have given the world a wrong, a wrong uh, view of God. I mean, they, they kind of got that uh, Flip Wilson thing is God's going to get you for that. That's not, that's not God at all. That's not God at all. And I know, I understand the chastisement of God, but that's at the end of the road. God is a, a, a patient God. Number three, let's praise God for who he is. He's Adonai, Lord of all. Wow. El Shaddai, great and glorious. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Whew. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jehovah Nissi, I think that's a misspelled word there. But our banner. Jehovah Shalom, our peace. I'm going to pause there, just give you a little time to catch up. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jehovah Nissi, our, uh, uh, our banner. Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Jehovah Tiskanu, our righteousness. Oh, man, he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? I'm as righteous as God's righteous. You know why? Because he sealed himself inside of me and that righteousness is Christ in you, Paul said, the hope of glory. That's what it is. It's not me. It's his righteousness. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord's ever present. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our shepherd. And let me tell you something. If, if, you, will get, if you go down through one, two, and three, I'm telling you what, it's, it's, it's hard to have a bad day. It's really hard to have a bad day if you even go down through, through, through the first three numbers there. It really is. Number four, let's confess to God our sins. Let's confess to God our inabilities. Let's confess to God our need of him. Oh, God, I need you. Jesus said with his disciples, without me, you can do nothing. And then let's pray for our family. Let's pray for our spouse. I thank God every day for my wife. I thank God every day for our children. Oh, thank God for them. Thank God for, pray for the special needs of the family, unsaved family, guidance. Other family members, you can enlarge on all of these. Take it home and just make it personal to you. Number six, let's pray for our church family. I'm sure you do, but I just want to remind you, pray for your pastor and the church staff. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Not only that, but communicate with them. If you love your pastor, tell him so. Tell him so. Had a man in our church got saved, I think it was on the day that I candidated for that church back in 1977. Got saved. I married he and his wife. Little, he had five boys. But, what, but you know what? Every service at that church, and there's like here, there's multiple, multiple doors he can go out. That man comes by, grips my hand, and, I, and I'm telling you, he's a man's man. He is a stout dude. And he looks me in the eyes and he says, Preacher, I love you, and I'm praying for you. Do you think I'll ever forget that man? I'll never forget that man. 
I don't ever remember one time in 30 years that man that come out that back door after he got saved and said to me, Preacher, I love you and I thank God for you. Ever service. Oh, tell you, preacher, you love him. Pray for him. Pray for your deacons, your church leaders, your Sunday school teachers. You ought to be praying for at least three of your missionaries, at least three of your missionaries, maybe even more. Number seven, let's pray for our church. Let's pray for God's plan for our church. You ought to be praying, oh, God, give, give our pastor, Lord, the, the vision for our church. Help our deacons, Lord, to see the vision that, that God gives the pastor. God, help us to see the vision. God, what are you wanting to do in our church? I mean, God's, God, God is on the move, I'm telling you something. He, he's, he's moving. Then also, pray for God's power on the church. Don't assume it. Pray for the power of God on the church. Pray for God's protection on the church, especially in any way. Pray for God's provisions on the church, for souls to be saved, for church families to be added to the church, for our, for our people to be faithful and attend us, and they'll continue to, to grow numerically, for our finances, that all the members will learn to, to, the joy of giving. I, I really feel bad for people who ever learned the joy of giving. It says, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Remember the words of Jesus. That's what he said. Number eight, let's pray for the different ministries of the church, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, other ministries. Number nine, let's pray for our city, our government leaders, our city leaders, state, our president, our senators, our congressmen. Number 10, let's pray for boldness to witness to the unsaved. And I want you to put a little note by this one here. All my years as a pastor, I taught our people that every person, of every adult of our church, and teenagers too, you should have on your prayer list the names of at least five people that live within, within a, a reasonable driving distance of this church right here who are not saved and that you beg God for their soul salvation every day. Every day. We often wonder, do we often wonder why nobody's getting saved? You know what the psalmist David said? He said, I looked on my right hand, refuge failed me. And listen to what he said. No man cared for my soul. I wonder how many people who live right out here within a, a, a 10 to 15 mile radius of this church here who, who are lost and on the road to hell that'll go to bed tonight and anybody will be begging God for their soul salvation. I told my people, you need to be begging God every day. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody you met at a gas station. Write their names down. Pray for that, those people. At least five people. Let me tell you something. When I was a young man, our church was very active in sports. I told the preacher that at one time we had, we had 12 softball teams out of our church. We put five or six men on a team. They had to pick up five and six to come and play. We had our own field. We made our own rules. We had a lot of men saved. One, one young man, great ball player. I mean, he was, a, he was good. Ball. I, I witnessed to him, witnessed to him. He was one of mine that I prayed for. Listen to, listen to me. I prayed for that man. I forget now. It was either 16 or 17 years. And on one Sunday, we were, ha we were having friend day at church. And I thought, well, I think I'll call Thomas and just invite him. I've invited him. Whole, I couldn't tell him many times. He's, he never comes. But I think I'm going to invite him. And that morning, lo and behold, church started out. Who walked in the back door? Thomas did. Thomas sat down. I've been praying for him for 16, 17 years. I gave the invitation. That died in the wool Catholic man walked that aisle and received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. I had witnessed to him and witnessed to him and witnessed to him and talked to him. I played ball with him. I traveled with him. 
And that morning he walked that aisle, he gave his heart and soul to Jesus Christ. You need to get the names of at least five people who live right here in this area here that you beg God for their soul every day. And you go out of your way to give a witness to them. You invite them to your house. You do something to stay in contact with them and to love them and, and to work on them and give the, put the gospel in their life, folks. You want to know why we're not having too many people saved sometimes down at our altars? Because we're not sowing any seeds out there. It's not just the pastor's job to sow the seeds. It's all of our jobs to sow the seed. So be a soul winner like that. Pray for boldness to witness. Number 11, let's rededicate our lives to the Lord. Confess our, our need for him. Ask for wisdom. Ask him to fill us with the spirit. Ephesians 5, 18, be not drunk with wine, where it excess, but be filled with the spirit. Praise and thank God for his blessings. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord all the way. And again, I say rejoice. Now, this is just, just a, 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 a rough draft of how you can organize your prayer life. You know what one of the biggest hindrances to prayers is? TV. People, people can stay up late and watch TV. Oh, I just couldn't get up this morning. You know what I learned a long time ago? Now, I, I'll tell you something about me. I, I am a big football, college football fan. I, I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I really enjoy it. And, of course, I grew up in South Alabama during the Bear Bryant years. And so I'm an Alabama Roll Tide fan. I, I, I am. But here's what I'm going to tell you something. I learned a long time ago, it don't make any difference whether I stay up and watch it or not, whether they win or lose. i got to keep my priorities right in my life. And I want to encourage you tonight not to be like Jesus' disciples. They failed Jesus in prayer. I want to encourage you to covet with God tonight. Just say to God tonight, God, I'm going to organize my prayer life. And God, I, I want to start praying an hour a week. I mean, an hour a day. And God, you say, well, I, I, I got to be at work early. I do too. That's why I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. You say, well, I got to be there earlier than you, you do. That's okay. Go to bed before I do. We don't all have the same schedule. I'm just saying make it a prayer. Make it a priority in your life. Folks, if this church will become a praying church, I'm telling you revival will come to this church. But I don't care who you have here to preach, preach to this church. If you're not a praying church, revival will never come to this church. And I urge you tonight, take the, make the commitment. God, I'm going, I'm, going to, I'm going to organize my prayer life. And God, I'm going to start praying 60 minutes a day. 